everyone and welcome to another Scots for Hay podcast and today I'm joined by writer Aidan Martin. Hello Aidan. How's it going? Good, good thanks. And we're going to be talking about Aidan's book Euphoric Recall uh, which is out now on with Guts Publishing. But I should say before we start we are likely to discuss addiction, attempted suicide, violence and mental health issues. So if any of those subjects might cause you anguish you're warned. But I have to say, Aidan, I think it's an amazing book. In fact, I have uh, something I, I, I want to say to you. When I picked it up, I didn't realise it was a memoir. I started reading it as a oh, really? Because usual with me, I just went straight in. I didn't read the blurb on the back or anything like that. I just went straight yeah. in. And then it was when I finished the first chapter and I went, God, that's one of the most arresting first chapters of anything I've read in a long, long time. And I looked at the back and I went, oh, right, this is a memoir. This is a <laughs> Yeah. And it yeah. just shifted things completely, you know. So I guess the first question I want to ask is, why did you decide to tell this story this way? Because you could have fictionalised it. So the reason I want to, I mean, I, when I first done this, I had a raw manuscript. I actually sent it away to someone, a professional in the, the literary world, and, and they suggested that, I possibly fictionalize it, but I am, I'm in recovery. And one of the most important tools of recovery, I think is being able to identify with someone else. I think it's very therapeutic being able to identify with someone else's journey. And I just hoped that this book had the potential to reach other people on a very real level. And I felt that if I anonymized it, it, it may seem inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's proven to have the effect way beyond what I thought it could. It's, it's become something that a lot of people can identify with. So, yeah, to, to answer your question, I wanted it to be something that people could identify with and I decided to tell my real story. Because when you're aware of that, and most people will know before they start reading, they will have checked the back of the book, but um, it does shift it. It does absolutely shift it. And as you say, there's an honesty, uh, for me anyway, there's an honesty and a bravery in the writing, which is really rare. Um, how difficult, well, first of all, how do you, when people ask what is euphoric recall, how do you describe it to them? So it, it deals with many serious subject matters. It deals with trauma and abuse. It deals with addiction. It deals with growing up working class. At, at a time when I was part of a lad culture and a lot of us didn't really know our biological fathers and there was a lot of violence and but it's it's more than just that. It's about overcoming those things and it's about recovery and it's about hope. And I believe when I was writing it, I mean, it's, it's also, it looks at child cancer and, and serious subjects like that. And I believe when I was writing it that it didn't have to be just aimed at people who suffered from mental health or addiction or who came from a, a tough background. There was a, enough in it, I think, that anyone going through any kind of challenge could potentially read it and, and get something from it. Absolutely. There are things here which... Um as you say, everyone will be able to identify with, whether it's family illness, whether it's, you know, various mental health issues, there's something there. And what's also there is this kind of strength and support that you seem to have. You know, you you describe how low it gets, but you also have a great way of saying that there's people behind you as well. You know, it's a very human, it's not something that you're just going, this is my story and my story alone. This is something that's shared with everyone else, which everyone will know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I was aware when, like, when I first started writing this, I was writing it for me. I, I had no idea. Like, I, I'm, I've not got a writing degree or anything. I had no idea I'd end up getting it published. Um, I didn't really know that it was called a memoir either until mm. I'd finished it. And then I came across misery memoirs and I felt like from the beginning, I made sure that this wasn't just about misery. It wasn't just a, and there's nothing wrong with someone telling that story. But for me, it wasn't just about the horrendous things. It was about the hope and the recovery and, and there's humor and camaraderie and other parts to it that I think make it more than a misery story. No, that's right. And it's if it had been fictionalized, you know, there's kind of things that people say, well, you hit a certain height and then there's the cover, you know, there's all these journeys that are in a novel. Whereas what happens, this is absolutely what real life is like because some days are better than others. And some yeah. days things have potential and some days you can't see anything. That's why I yeah. took from it. Yeah. So was this part of your own recovery, the writing of it? Technically, because like my mum's, as people who read the book would know, my mum's such a huge, important part of my life. And she said to me that from a very young age, I wanted to be a writer. And actually, I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. Uh, that was, from a young age, my ambition. But between a lack of education, growing up in a violent way, and getting involved in a addictive lifestyle from a young age, that those sort of dreams and aspirations were put to one side and forgotten about, and I became full-on an addiction. It was after my most recent relapse, which was almost three years ago now, and I got I got clean again, and a member of my family died, and it was just an urge. It was just an urge to write, like a feeling that was just telling me to write. And yeah, I guess you can say it is, it is part of my recovery. It's been, I don't want to sound cliched, but it has been therapeutic and cathartic to write. And to I was in a healthy place to go back to that stuff. You know, yeah. if I'd done it, three or four years earlier it might have been self-harming to go back but by the time I wrote it it was a therapeutic thing for me so I could I could say that it is part of my recovery journey yeah because uh, that's something I wanted to ask how difficult it was to go back over these events again yeah I mean there's no denying it was it was challenging because something something I'll say to anyone is I feel like I've I'd gone through enough trauma to live three different lifetimes you know and to revisit those things was painful but I also knew that I'd be doing the book a disservice if I didn't tackle it properly. I wouldn't be doing the experiences I had justice if I sugarcoated them. And I, I don't think, you know, I didn't sensationalize them either. I think I just tried to keep it real, keep it real as, as I experienced it. And the feedback I've had of people now who have identified with so many different parts of the book has made it worth it. It's made that sacrifice worth doing. And um, yeah, it's it's been... It's been a healthy thing, so it's not been a harmful thing for me. And you you mentioned uh, your, your mum, and there's there's other um, family members and friends and relationships. How did they feel when the book came out? So, so supportive. Um, I, I think the one person I was sort of worried about the most was my dad. Is technically my stepfather, but you know he raised me, and he's, I call him my dad. And the reason I worried about his reaction was because we had a tough relationship. And I sort of addressed some of that, but he's been so supportive. <laughs> he, was, he was just blown away by the book and um, he was entirely supportive of it. And that, that blew me away. It was such an amazing feeling. I knew that my mum would get behind it and my partner and my friends, I knew all that, but I was, I was worried how my dad would take it because 
I do address how difficult things were between me and him. So I'd say of all the reactions, that one maybe pleased me the most because it was just so supportive and it's it's been great. And it's interesting you saying that you you were kind of interested in, in journalism because it just strikes me now. And you also said you didn't want it sensationalised, but you want it to be honest. And there is, I suppose, a journalistic quality to it and that you are reporting, this is what happened, these are the facts. And, uh, you know, you don't try and over-emotionalise it or anything. It's just like, this was my life at this point in time. Yeah. I think being in recovery, it's, it's almost easier to take you on that journey because in recovery, if anyone's not familiar with the recovery scene, we do what's called a, a share. And in your share, you tend to go over the bad times and then talk about the good times. So it was kind of like me doing a share on paper and and just yeah. take, taking the reader through the, the journey. And like I wanted readers to feel the emotions as close as possible as to how it felt for me, you know, when I was talking about my little brother and stuff. I wanted readers to feel that emotion and the feedback I've had is, has been that, you know, they really did feel that and it's, uh, I, feel, I feel proud of it. Oh, absolutely. And the the situations, I, I kept going back to James Kelman once said um, that real drama is found in people's everyday lives and that's what I think when I was reading this. It's like, this is a real drama and uh, although it takes you on, you know, all sorts of emotional roller coaster. You have to kind of turn the page. I have to say, it's also really well written. Thank you. you. Know, Thank you very I, much. You know, it, it's um, uh, that's why I think the first chapter I thought was a novel because I thought, oh, this is bad, you know. <laughs> and and uh, so you, you, but you've got another novel plan, or you've got a novel planned? Is that right? Yes. So I am. Um, I've got two chapters left to write. So this, I would, I would describe this one I'm writing now as a fiction, but it's probably got about 50% of it as, as kind of memoir because it comes from my real experiences. And this one's set specifically in the early 2000s, growing up in West Lothian when there was a bit of a, there was still a bit of a rave scene and a, a big drug scene and a lot of violence. And it's not a book that is about glamorizing it. I want to explain lad culture mm-hmm. i want to explain why why we lived that way what what were the factors behind it uh, we didn't use words like mental health mm-hmm. or addiction or social deprivation or social mobility that just wasn't in our vocabulary we didn't understand these things these these reasons that we lived that way so i'm writing this book not to glamorize that lifestyle but hopefully to explain it and hopefully to give some people a nostalgia to it as well of those kind of crazy years because it was a very intense way to live and a hardcore way to live, but we lived that lifestyle for a while. Um, do you feel that having had Euphoric Recall out there and published now that you've told your story so it now allows you to tell other people's, if you like? That's exactly that. It's, you've just hit, you've, you've hit it right on, on, the, on the nail there. Like that's... You've hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. That's almost the tagline I've got in my head is that I've told my story. Now I'm going to tell you their story. Right. Yeah. That's great. In the introduction, um, talking about representing, you say uh, about Lady where, where you're from in Livingston, isn't it? It's the, yes. Uh, um, you want to make uh, Lady Well famous, which I think is a, a, a great uh, quote. What, what do you mean by that? What was your idea behind that? Because 
Ladywell was an amazing place to grow up in a lot of ways. So I, I, I discussed how hard it was being a young male. I mean, not just for males, but from my experience as a young male growing up in a lad culture in an area where lads were kind of, all we knew was violence and we, we thought violence and pulling women and taking drugs and sticking your fingers up to authority and playing football was everything. So that those kind of experiences had good sides and they had negative sides. And there were some great things about growing up in Ladyville. There was a lot of community. People you know, didn't have a lot. So we had outdoor experiences like playing with your pals, playing football and building gang huts and gala days and going to youth clubs at the local high school and swimming lessons and uh, all the neighbours knew each other and when the ice cream van or the chippy van came round, everybody was out getting their stuff and there was just a, f- it was almost like a tribal feeling, you mm-hmm. know. It's something I think's possibly lost in today's culture and that part I loved and a lot of people had, you know, it was easier to get social housing so people's family tended to be closer. So the streets had a lot of aunties and uncles and cousins and brothers and and so there was just a lot of camaraderie and, and stuff like that. But then at the same time, there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of deprivation for people. So I think there was just so many colourful characters and colourful experiences. And I just feel Livingston's, it's an untouched area for literature and for, for film and TV. And I think there's so many experiences that I had growing up there that are untold and my next book is based predominantly in Ladywell as well. So hopefully, hopefully I'll achieve that dream of making it famous. It's interesting because I've just recently done an interview with the writer Eli Percy and uh, their book set in Renfrew again in the 2000s, um, but it's kind of school years, first year to sixth year at school. But mm-hmm. they said that the reason uh, they wanted to write the book partly was to get Renfrew on the page because they'd never seen it on the page. So it's a similar type of thing. And in fact, even with um, Graham Armstrong's young team in Airdrie, he's doing something similar, you know, writing about your local. And there's loads of places in Scotland that rarely, if ever, have appeared on the page. Yeah, I think something that what I love about Graham is that he's defied a lot of snobby attitudes that the people he was writing about wouldn't pick up the book. You know, that he was, and I think he's proven that wrong, that he's written something that can be identified with people who experienced it. And I've had that same experience with my book that it's been, it's not just aimed at one type of reader. It's been read by a lot of different people from different types of backgrounds, but certainly a lot of the folk that grew up in the schemes with me have picked the book up and they've identified with it. So I, the the more people like Graham and and other authors like, what was the name of the author you said? My person. Eli, uh, people yeah. like Graham, Graham and Eli, the, the more the merrier, I would say. And Graham McQueer as well, who's sort of it's a similar thing. People yes. were saying that they'd, it's the first book we'd read since school, which I just loved. They went, you know, representation and identification with what's happening on the page, I think. Yeah, definitely. So th- th- you've got, uh, what's the feedback back been like from folk, you know, in Ladywell that have read it? People have identified with it. Um, I've had so many people contact me that have experienced addiction or loss or or trauma or mental health, but also people have got a nostalgia. Like, for example, I talk about um, there was an alcoholic in the area called Madrab. Now, I only mentioned him very briefly. I mentioned him twice, and everyone loved him. Everyone loved him, and he was a bit of a legend around our way, and people just love that, that I've mentioned him. People just love that he got a mention. And so I think people who are local to the area – you know, 
people when I think it's a Scottish thing, eh? we we champion our own, we champion people from our areas and I've I've experienced that I've had such support locally but also nationally. Um, but I certainly people at a local level have identified with the material in, in more than one way and it's uh I, I again it's made me feel very proud to have put something out there that says, well, this is a little bit of what's happened in our area. And uh, do you mind that we talk a little bit about the, some of the detail in the book? Um, I sure. don't give away any spoilers or anything, but going back to that first chapter, which, as I said, is incredibly, you know, it absolutely grips you from the start. Why did you decide that that was going to be the first chapter? So I got the idea from the movie Goodfellas. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Goodfellas or... So I, I mean, it's, it's one of my absolute favourites. I love Scorsese, but I think what the film did really well was the first scene was actually something that happens in the middle of the movie and it's a very it's a very important scene and then the character who's well, Henry Hill he, he says you know as, as long as I can remember I always wanted to be a gangster and then it goes back to the start and take, takes you through the story to that point and past that point so I actually thought to myself for that reason I wanted to begin there I felt like it was definitely the I mean I've gone through a lot of different traumas but I, I'd say that was the most traumatizing thing I've been through and I felt for me as well that that was probably the hardest chapter to write so let's write it first and um, so a, a lot of different reasons and it was it just felt like the place to begin and I think again it's it's, it's worked out the way I'd hoped it worked out and I tried to write it in such a way where I, I don't think I done it in a graphic way but I explained enough yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's it's a story which, you know, you return to throughout the book as well. You know, it's like it's a, a story that's always there. Um, yeah. It, it, on your... I was going to say, definitely from start to finish, it's an important, very important topic of the book, yeah. And often uh, throughout the book as well, you refer to your higher power, and I was interested in that because you don't go into any details or anything and don't feel the need to explain it right now. But just what would you expect people to think of when they say when you say higher power? So it comes from being in recovery and it's, it's a concept of an addiction. Your addiction is more powerful than you are and you need another more powerful, not being, but something more powerful than you are to help you. But for me, it's more than that, and it's like I'm I'm not religious or anti-religious. I'm not. It's not like a a beardy god in the sky type higher power. I, I just believe there's something more powerful at work. I believe in the laws of attraction as well. I believe in tapping into something more powerful and like I, I pray and stuff. But again, it, my family were, were Catholic, but it was not a religion that, that stuck for me. I didn't really. Religion and me didn't really work together, but I do think I'm spiritual. And so this mentioning a higher power all the way through was something I almost didn't want to do because I didn't want people to think that I had any delusions of grandeur or that my, heads were, my head was in the clouds or anything like that. But it was such an important part of my life that I still do to this day. I still rely on this higher power for guidance and for, for strength. So I don't have a like a definitive answer as to what that represents. And I think it's open to interpretation. You know, uh, I think if someone believes in a higher power and it's a religious God, then that's amazing. If it's a, a non-religious thing, then that's amazing. If it's the universe, if it's something else, 
then, then that's amazing as well. For me, I don't quite have a definition. I just believe there's something, some greater force than me at work, and it's always there to tap into if I want to. I think that's good that you don't have a definition because, as you say, it allows people to come up with their own idea. My feeling, the way that you referred to it, was it was almost like the concept of a guardian angel, that it was something that, you know, even at your uh, lowest times was was looking after you. And, uh, and yeah, you don't need to explain it, I think, any. that That's probably as accurate as I could get it. The way you've just described it is it's like a guardian angel type thing, yeah. And you're involved yourself in uh, recovery support at the moment. Um, so what does that entail? So I go to uh, mutual aid fellowship meetings. Um, you know, you hear like Alcoholics Anonymous, that type of thing. So it's, it's um, sort of supporting each other through recovery. It's not everyone's way of finding recovery, and recovery means different things to different people. Um, but for my particular recovery path it's been an abstinence based one so one where I don't take any substances and I still I'll do it for the rest of my life now I'll attend them and it's it's really just going to meetings sharing what's happening for you um, supporting other people through their own journeys and working with other recovering addicts or alcoholics or whatever the terminology suits um, to, to support each other through life basically and I've learned another toolbox and, and the recovery meetings for dealing with life that I never had before I found recovery. And you also, uh, I believe, I've got a degree in criminology and sociology. Was that yes. something that helped to contextualise what you'd been through? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so much. So I actually should mention that when I talk about recovery, it's there are many aspects to that. Like my family's part of it being out in nature is part of it but my education my education has been so important for me and the reason I narrowed it down to criminology and sociology is because I want to understand why lads like me ended up the way we did why all the boys I grew up with ended up in a life of addiction or ended up incarcerated or why lads I grew up with that had the same upbringing as me ended up murdering someone or getting murdered I wanted to understand that because I don't believe a single one of us were bad people uh, it's fascinating. I, and is it something that uh, you're looking to develop working and work in that area? Yeah, I've done a lot of work over the last 10 years in different um, sectors. So I've worked in homelessness. I've worked with a lot of victims of crimes and witnesses of crimes. Uh, I've supported people who have lived with bloodborne viruses like HIV and hepatitis C. I've worked in the criminal justice system. I've spent the last two years as an advocacy worker for addictions and done work with mental health so there's a lot of different work I've done that ticks those boxes the the work I really want to do the most though is probably with people who get caught up in offending behavior are people who are still stuck in um, our addictive cycles because I believe these are people who are also vulnerable and are also potential victims in society and as I say, I don't believe people who end up in these lifestyles are morally inferior. So I'm almost finished my master's degree in social work and we shall see where that takes me. Brilliant. Uh, so we've talked about how the kind of local reaction, but how about the wider reaction? Because as far as I can see, people uh, have just been you know, taken, blown away by it. Yeah, that's it surprised me so much because I've got an independent publisher, Guts Publishing, who are absolutely fantastic um, but what comes of us being at an independent level is we don't have a massive marketing 
team and there's not a lot of money to market it widely and I don't have an agent or anything like that so it's all been through just real grit and hard work and then word of mouth so it just keeps going it's, it's just not stopping it just keeps going and going and going and it's been picked up by the media and I've been asked to do lots of talks and I've ended up involved in the campaign to tackle the drugs death crisis in Scotland and so it just keeps going and going and going so when I hear from people like in America or Australia, I've had pictures of folks sitting next to palm trees with a book, and I kind of like that. I like that, you know, a lot of the story takes place in Wee Ladywell, where I come from, and there's somebody sitting next to a palm tree in the sunshine reading it. So, uh, yeah, it's the same response, no matter where, where people are from, and that makes me feel really good. But I think that's because, well, as you said right at the beginning, there's things in there that no matter what life people have had, they'll be able to uh, relate to them. But also going back to this honesty in it that you've written, then I think people just relate to that. Or just to say, this isn't trying to do anything else but tell this story and you take from it what you want. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to be careful about was not putting myself on a pedestal, you know, not being like, look at me. I wanted to be honest about the things I've done wrong, the people I hurt as part of my past because yeah. um, I, I felt as if I, if I didn't do that it wouldn't read authentically and you know there's for example there are two ex-partners that I discuss in the book and I contacted both of them you know I, and I wasn't a good boyfriend I wasn't a good partner I, I stole their peace of mind when I was in relationships with them and I contacted both of them before the book came out and explained it and said I can take you out of the book I can change it I, I don't need to have you in it I wanted to give them that respect and they both supported me and forgave me from my past and have supported me throughout the whole journey. And beyond, and one of them's, you know, she's married and her husband supported it too. And I just, that blew me away. And I think, and they, they read the book and I, I got their blessing after they read it. And I think the honesty paid off because it wasn't, I wasn't just missing out chunks of my life where actually I'd hurt people too. Yeah, I wanted to be honest about, yeah, I've done good things now with support. I've managed to do good things in my life. But along the way, I also hurt people and I also made mistakes. Absolutely. It's heartbreakingly honest there. But it goes back to we were talking about family support and now you've got support of other people in the book because although this is your story, and often it's their story as well. So, you know, the fact that they said, yeah, you're telling this in the right way must have been hugely encouraging and a... You must be thankful for it, really. Oh yeah, so so much. It's it's just been amazing. The, the support from everyone, the, the reaction from everyone. It's it's been you know one of the sayings I used again as a recovery saying is beyond your wildest dreams. It's it, it's that criteria. It's beyond my wildest dreams. What's happening? And every time someone else contacts me to say it's helped them or it's made them understand someone else and their family or like I have mental health nurses or. Uh, criminology lecturers, you know, people contact me and, and say that it's helped them understand people better than I've done my job. I think that's a, a central thing is that people who read it will get a better understanding of why other people do what they do, which is, you know, such an important thing. Yeah, I, I was hopeful that that would come across as well. They were especially talking about some of the more embarrassing things like part of my behaviours was to seek out being abused and I, I won't go into anything too graphic but that wasn't an easy thing to discuss but again it came down to well there might be other people out there that have these issues 
And if they read me talking about it in an honest way, it might make them feel less alone. And evidently, I've heard from people who do meet that kind of background who do suffer with that kind of stuff. And they're not stereotypical addicts either. They're people from all different backgrounds, different genders, race, religion, abilities, disabilities, from different social classes. Um, it's really, really amazed me how many different people from different backgrounds have related to my story. And there's there's a there's a kindness that runs through the whole book, and it's often the kindness of other people and often strangers when you're at your very lowest and most vulnerable, which is so heartening. I think. Yeah, and, and that's again that that's another form of me believing in a higher power. I, when I say a higher power, I don't think that some god's going to walk into my kitchen and make me a cup of tea and sit me down and tell me what to do. Sometimes that manifests itself through other people being there at the right time. And it's happened so many times in my life. And I've been fortunate enough to be that person for other people. I've had people that have been put in my path and now I am playing a role in being put on other people's paths. That's kind of how I look at a higher power experience. And do you know what you did? Well, we've talked about the novel that you're going to be writing next, but it feels, do you still have that urge to write when you were doing, you know, you were saying that uh, when you were writing Euphoric Recall, it felt like you were had to do it. You had to keep writing. And is that still with you? Yeah, I've got the same feeling for the book I'm writing now. Um, like I say, I've, I've only got two chapters left to write. Everything else I've, I've even edited it to the point where it's, it's ready to go to an agent or a publisher to, to look over. And I've had agents and publishers contact me anyway already. Really? And they don't, they don't know what I'm writing yet. And they've asked, they've queried what I'm writing. So I think there's a, there's a good chance I'll get it out there. Um, but because I'm, so because of the coronavirus, my uni course was stop start yeah. and it started again in March. So I'm, I've got until July now just to get this course wrapped up. So it's kind of, taking the place of where I was with my writing. So I've got two chapters left to finish, and when I, I want to do it properly, I don't want to rush it. So I'm aiming to get that out for the end of the year, but I've got that same inner urgency, like this has to be done, and I, I need to get this out there, and I, I have to write it in a certain way. And um, Again, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I don't believe there'll be any other book out there like what I'm writing right now on this kind of subject matter, and I think I've written it in a way that I've never seen anyone else write it before, so... I'm excited to get it out and I'm very hopeful that it has the desired effect. Well, I'm excited to read it. I cannot wait. Thank you. Um, Aidan, thanks so much for having a chat with me today. It's been fascinating and really good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. No bother. No bother at all. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>